I went into Roots Cafe the other day and I ran into a friend of mine who I happen to know is clean and sober. And he was sitting with his nephew, who I also learned is in sobriety. And I told him about our podcast, Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores. And he just loved the title and said, oh, I want that on a t-shirt. And I said, well... stories about addiction we might oh stories about recovery too mm, but mostly stories about how addiction turns smart sensitive people into liars thieves gluttons and whores liars and thieves and gluttons and whores oh liars thieves gluttons and whores oh my liars thieves gluttons and whores oh my liars thieves gluttons and whores oh my Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are on the air with me, Nancy Adair, the host and creator of Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores, the podcast that brings you stories from both the dark side and the light side of addiction and recovery. Once again, I'm here with my season two co-host, Lori Jones. Such a great time that we have together, Lori. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. I always have such a great time. I always look forward to this. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So one of the recent episodes that I recorded was an interview with Natalie Speakman. And I love that, you know, I was attracted to interviewing Natalie because she was going out there and doing things in her life that I've really only dreamt of doing. Like she lives in Bali, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and she said she lives in Bali for three months. Then she has to go take a, a trip to like Singapore and come back to Bali in order to renew the visa. There's this just kind of dance that they many of them do there. And, um, you know, I had a a mentor go to Bali many years ago and talk about the Balians, I think, were the healers. And and she came back with so many photographs of the beauty of the land and the color and the color of the fabrics and what people wear. And I'm a fiber artist. And it just screamed to me like, oh, I'd really love to go to Bali. I'm still working on that dream. Um, It's never too late for those dreams. You know, maybe this is just you know, maybe it's just confirmation of the future, you know, hearing all the, you know, hearing about Natalie in Bali, 
same here. Like when I think about Bali, I think about Bollywood dancing, which I love. And I love the music and with all the colors. And so it just seems like it would be such a peaceful place um, to be able to live and to say that you live there. Amazing. Yeah, I remember one morning, early morning, my son and I were traveling in New Zealand and we went on bikes into this rainforest where there were glowworms. So it looked like a fantasy. We were going through the rainforest on this trail on bikes when the sun was coming up and there was someone jogging down in the opposite direction. And my son just stopped and said, mom, could you imagine if this was your morning run every day? Yeah, yeah, it would be like your life is a vacation every day that you're like surrounded by, you know, such beauty and there and there are so many beautiful things. So um, one thing I didn't get out of the interview is how she ended up in Bali. Do you recall? No, I don't actually. I bet that's an interesting story. We'll have to do part two. Yeah, I was thinking about Alex McRoberts, who's also in Bali. And I do know how she ended up there. Uh, She was working. She's from Canada. She was working in Dubai and drinking and working as a teacher. And then I think she went over to vacation in Bali. Now she lives in Bali sober and teaches sober girls yoga in Bali, also in Dubai, and in Mexico. (laughs) I thought, there's another person living out one of my dreams. I know, I know. If you think back at one of our life hacks, which was sleep on it, like you might want to sleep on it, whether or not you want to go to Bali, that might be in your future. Well, I actually am working toward one of the things that I learned from Alex is the best time to be in Bali is in our summertime. And I, you mentioned, you know, every day being vacation. Well, you and I live in vacation land. That's our license Mm -hmm. plate. You know, Maine is called vacation land. And I really feel that almost every time I vacation somewhere, travel somewhere and come back to Portland, Maine, I feel so incredibly blessed to live here. And I'm thinking that in the summer, you know, I have a home in Portland, Maine, I can air Airbnb my home and spend a month or two in Bali in the summer. Ah. I love Maine in the winter, you know, too. So I'm thinking that wouldn't be bad. (laughs) That would be a great idea. That would definitely be living a good life, I think. And it sounded like Natalie's, you know, living, you know, her best life. So I have a question. So Um, you know, because, you know, the name of the show is uh, Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores. And during the Natalie interview, um, you know, you both talked a lot about food addiction. And so, you know, I was thinking about that because, you know, I can live my life without alcohol because I don't need alcohol, you know, to survive. And so when I think about food addiction, you know, it just seems very complex to me because you need food to live. And whereby drugs, we know, you know, we shouldn't do drugs. And like you and I talked about in another uh, interview about, you know, alcohol is poison and we know that it doesn't feel good. And so, you know, when I think about food addiction and, and overcoming that, it's so complex to me. Um, because you need food to survive, you know, and, um, yeah, I'm just going to leave that there and just, you know, you can tell me, you know, your thoughts about that. Just, you know, from my standpoint, I would just find it very, very difficult because it's around us all the time and, you know, no one's telling us food is poison. No, although my experience 
my personal experience with sugar and flour are that they are the other white powders in my life. You know, they are just as detrimental and they're basically non-nutritive foods. So we really don't need, particularly sugar, we don't need sugar in order to survive. And lots and lots of illnesses in our, especially U.S. culture, are a result of our consumption of sugar, as well as alcohol, um, corn syrup, you know, all the ways that sugar is disguised in product. And even tobacco is laced with sugar. You know, I, I just think that's not necessary. And a lot of people look at the lengths that I've gone to to eat weighed and measured meals three times a day with nothing in between, no sugar, no flour. There's no caffeine or nicotine in my life. And I just feel really good. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. there isn't an absence of good food in my life. And my food plan, such as it is, is, you know, I look forward to my meals. I feel good. I'm 66 and I'm, you know, 120 pounds and five foot three and I I enjoy living and I'm very healthy partially because I have a really healthy way of eating. Now mm -hmm. I don't think that everybody that has problems with food has food addiction, nor do I believe that everybody that is overweight in our culture has a food addiction. If you do have an addiction to food, you're using food in the way that we would use a drug and it's out of control. And as Natalie said, that mental obsession is even stronger than the physical compulsion. Mm -hmm. Then I believe you need a program. And because of what you said, Lori, because food is always around us, because we need to eat every day, that means that that program needs to be really defined and structured. It is the structure of my food plan that gives me the ultimate freedom that I experience. Mm -hmm. Now, along with that, tonight I'm going dancing about an hour south of me in Portsmouth. And I talked to the person that invited me to go dancing and said, I just need to let you know that I need to either eat early or eat on the way because this starts at 7.30 an hour away. And so that, you know, and my dance partner was very accommodating and said, whatever you need. You need to eat in the car. You need to eat before I pick you up. But whatever you need is fine with me. And it's my job to take care of making sure that my needs get met. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So after after I said that and you brought up sugar and flour, then I'm over here thinking, okay, Lori, that was mean. I know sugar is not good for you. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, like, that's right. I mean, because I, I kind of, you know, different times have loved sugar. So I myself, I think it's really kind of cool we're having this conversation. I myself, I want to adopt a better way. And so this is actually inspiring me already because I think I do want to give up sugar. I'm going to do it. Be careful what you say. <laughs> I know. Be careful, what you, <laughs> be careful what you say. I'm going to cut back on yeah, I'm going to cut back on sugar for sure. But again, um, there's a lot of things that are not good for us. And so, you know, I, I definitely want to eat as well as I can. And, you know, when I think about, you know, not drinking, I want to share this with you now that we're talking about sugar. 
is when I first quit drinking, I craved sugar so much. Uh, it was, I mean, it was saying how much sugar I was craving. And I realized after a bit that, you know, there's a lot of sugar in wine. Yeah. And I found, yeah, I found myself right away um, eating like different kinds of candy that I would never eat. But just it was sort of taking the place of um, the alcohol, which, which, you know, contains a lot of sugar, as you know. And it used to be really recommended to alcoholics detoxing and, you know, early days of not drinking to eat sugar, particularly candy. And, and I think now, well, that was just not, yeah, (laughs) Um, you know, it's like adding to the problem because sugar really isn't good for your body. It's not helpful in terms of detox. I remember talking to a friend of my sister's who had a type of cancer and her doctor had said, you know, sugar feeds cancer or cancer feeds on sugar. And she was she had a terminal cancer and she said um, she was drinking and eating sugar again. And she was like, well, screw it. You know, I'm, I'm going to enjoy myself while I'm here. And it, it, Brings me to another point where sometimes I'm distressed in my own life. And when I hear so many people looking for comfort in food or in drinking, that it really doesn't give us. Mm. Um, In fact, I remember a time when I was standing outside of a meeting with a group of women, all self-proclaimed food addicts who were exceptionally bright, gifted artists and um, very successful in business. And we ended up like laughing in the parking lot about how we used to think that we turn to food and sugar to feel better when it was sugar and excess food that was making us feel bad in the first place. And it's just Mm -hmm. a vicious, vicious cycle that any good addict will relate to. Mm -hmm. Like you feel bad. So you take a drink and you take a drink and you feel bad and you feel bad and you take a drink. And it's just going around in a loop. There is such a thing as a food hangover. Yeah. Just, you know, and you know, I would say I probably have experienced that too, like after holidays and things, just waking up the next day and just not feeling great because of the crap that, um, that we would eat around the holiday. You know, I don't know. I, it's so hard, Nancy. It just is. It's hard. Like there are so many things that can distract, you know, I'll only speak for myself. There's so many things that can just distract us, you know, into thinking that it's going to be an instant fix for the inside job. It needs to be done. Well, and and there's the beauty of it. You just said it. You know, we're we're driven by distraction. There's a book by that title about ADHD, and I think uh, there's a really high number of addicts, alcoholics with ADHD, and we're looking for something to take the edge off. And what saddens me is that so often we're looking for that something to comfort us that does not work, that isn't effective. As one of my clients say today, said today, she said, um, I'm looking for ways to tap out that are actually restorative rather than Ooh. damaging. And I thought, yes. oh, yeah, there are a lot of those ways to, you know, when I'm feeling uh, low motivation and I'm just exhausted from how busy I love keeping my life, that I need to do things that restore my energy 
not watch another episode on Netflix, Mm. which is what I'll turn to to think, you know, it's nice, it's soothing, and it's not restorative. No, you you just made me think of something too. And I'm just going to share this. And I, because I remember having this conversation a really long time ago, and it was in a work situation where someone that I worked with smoked cigarettes. And smokers generally will take their break and get up, go outside, smoke their cigarette, take their time, deep breath in, long breath out. And and then some of us don't take breaks and we're workaholics and we work through everything. And, and, and you see someone that someone that's smoking that's taking all their breaks and they're doing their deep breathing when in reality it's it you know the the ritual of it is great it's brilliant it's like you're going to take a breath and do your deep breathing where um we all need to do that more minus the cigarette go sit quietly take some deep breath exhale sit um detach from what you're doing um you know so there are times and the reason i think of this is a conversation that i had that with the smoker that we got down to maybe it wasn't really about the nicotine it was just having the excuse to be able to say, I'm going to go do this instead of working. And um, I think that we should, that should be a life hack is um, to remove yourself as if you are taking a cigarette break, but you're not taking a cigarette break, obviously, but you are going to go sit and you're going to meditate and take deep breaths because that's really smart. It's really smart to take your break and it's really smart to sit and breathe. And so um, there's something to be said for that. I heard a story about a person who was smoking 20 cigarettes a day that went to a hypnotist and the hypnotist said, take 20 two minute breaks a day. And she said, Oh, I couldn't possibly do that. And he said, you already do. Yeah. So yes. you are right, my dear. <laughs> life hacks. What is the light hack there, though? Is it restorative, not tapping out? It, um, the life hack there would be to take a break, take, take a, break, a break, remove yourself. Yeah, remove yourself and sit and take some deep breath. Yeah. Um, just like uh, another life hack that I've heard is that Lots of times when you have a headache and you take um, an aspirin or a Tylenol, it's actually the water that you need it. So hydrating. So um, most times it's not even that you need the Tylenol or the aspirin, it's that you need the hydration. So take a cigarette break, even though you're not a smoker and drink your water, even if you're not um, trying to remedy a headache, just drink your water. (laughs) I'm writing these all down. Yeah, we got life hacks over here too. You know, I was just thinking about the how to detox rapidly, successfully with the least amount of pain. And I remember learning to with when you said hydrate to drink that water at room temperature, which is never I'm always a girl, a woman of extremes. Like I like really hot water or really cold water. And um, I was told that water at room temperature most closely mirrors the water in the cells of our body and therefore will flush them out more quickly, flush out toxins more quickly. And another of the top three methods of detoxing is sweating it out, sweat it out, life hack sweat it out. Yes. And, um, and that can be in sports, it can be in a sauna, um, whatever will get you sweating the toxins out of your pores. And the third, I really loved learning this. The third was massage. Ah. And if you're not lucky enough to have a partner who gives you a massage, or you can't afford to go get a massage, then go to 
uh, Doin, D-O-I-N, on the internet and learn how to give yourself self-massage, Doin massage. Hmm. So the three things to remember when detoxing, especially if you're, you know, if you're someone that can detox safely on your own outside of a hospital or rehab, then I would suggest drinking lots of water, sweating it out, being active, running, sauna, whatever works for you, and getting massage or giving yourself massage. Sounds lovely. (laughs) Well, I was thinking recently how I, I don't do a lot of teaching on the podcast, you know, like there are these teaching moments that I think mm-hmm. could be useful or helpful. Yeah. When you think about dry January, you know, when you're talking about sober curious, when you think about dry January, I mean, it could be dry February, March, April, you know, dry spring. But I think that for people who are sober curious and maybe just taking a break, um, they could also incorporate those three things just in the break. Yeah. Right. Yeah. During the break would really help. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just thought spring into sobriety. (laughs) There we go. All right. Now we've got a campaign. Yeah. We got our October, (laughs) dry January. We've got spring into sobriety. Spring into sobriety. Yep. Drink your, make sure you hydrate. Make sure you get a massage. I like it. You something that really struck me when interviewing Natalie was her level of denial, like being able to continue some of these. I mean, she was talking about using drugs, stealing drugs from a pharmacy she worked for. (laughs) She's like, how how can you convince yourself that these things make sense? And, uh, you know, I'm talking to myself too, or my younger self at the same time. Just, it's pretty impressive to me. And I love there's a breakdown acronym for denial. It doesn't really work if you spell it out. And it don't even know I am lying. Ooh. Oh, yeah. And you just reminded me because I listened to her interview and I forgot that bit. I forgot that bit about her being turned in by a family too. Yeah. Yeah. She really had to face the music. Um, So yeah, she may have been in a little bit of denial. And yeah, her family member just really held her accountable for that. You know, thinking back, I'm sure she is grateful for that. But it had to happen that way. I mean, it, 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 it needed to happen that way. And if I recall, she felt as though that was her ticket out. Like that was her ticket out of her like sort of mundane, not, not even a mundane life, but like her life that she was living. She felt like, no, I'm going to sell these drugs and I'm going to get out of here. And yeah, so, it, um, yeah, it was her way out of an unmanageable life is she was going to take 500 Xanax and sell them on the street, make money to have a ge- geographic cure, which we all know how well those work. Talking about right. denial again. <laughs> right. A geographic tour. That's the first time I'd ever heard that term. It's frequently talked about in the 12-step halls is that okay. we, you know, we try to have a geographic cure. We'll go somewhere else and um, and it'll our life will be so much better. It's like it's always greener on the other side. And um, people talk about that with, you know, I'll get a divorce and you know it's 
not my drinking that's caused problems in my marriage. It's my marriage causing me to drink. I'll get a mm. divorce and things will get better. And uh, well, I've heard a lot of people say it didn't work out quite that way. No, no. So yeah, that was, that was, you know, that was, um, what's the word I want to use? It actually made me nervous for her when I was listening to her tell that story. It, it made me nervous for her. Well, what was the period of time that she could have gone away for um, 30 years? She, yeah, 30 years. Oh my gosh. You know, I mean, it was obvious that she didn't because she was younger than the 30 years would have been. And I know a lot of people that go to prison, go to jail, have their terms reduced. And, um, but wow, but the thought of that. Yeah, she really turned it around. She really, you know, she really turned, um, she turned her whole life around. I mean, now she's living in Bali. And I mean, she's talking to you about all these things, you know, that weren't funny at the time, I'm sure when, you know, she had to, um, you know, face the music about selling or stealing, you know, all of those drugs. Um, You know, I'm sure that was, I'm sure that was very much her rock bottom. You know, one of the other things that really intrigued me about interviewing Natalie was what I was reading on her Instagram and Facebook account that really we didn't tap into on the interview. Um, She'd gotten pregnant at a young age when drunk and um, really had to go to the bathroom, couldn't find a place to pee and said, oh, screw it. And peed on herself and squished around in her, you know, sneakers for the rest of the night and continued partying and 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 got pregnant. You know, it's like, oh, and she openly talks about those stories and posts them for all the world to see. And that's part of what I'm doing here. And this podcast is it's just so helpful to know that you weren't the only one or, you know, mm-hmm. how bad it can get. And that it doesn't have to, or, you know, you can identify with somebody else's story. And I think it was Joey said, too, in his interview that um, that he listened to people come to his school when he was a teen and talk about the, you know, the cautionary tales about where alcohol could bring them and or drugs, you know, and and he and his little buddies would be just talking about, oh, I never thought about doing that, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah. You know, in a in a not great way, in a not carrying the message way, but in a all right, I'm still I'm not done experiment. Yeah. I remember you making me have this little thought. I remember being like in junior high and you know, people coming to my school and talking about alcohol. And we had to fill out a little survey that had all these questions about alcohol. And I remember one of the questions being something about um, that it's cool to hold your alcohol. And I was so, I was such a baby time. I actually thought it meant holding your alcohol in your hand. <laughs> Not, you know, that I can drink without, you know, puking my guts out. It's just, I actually thought, oh, it's cool. Why do people, and I was such a baby at the time that I thought, what, people think it's cool to hold their alcohol. So they have to actually hold it in their hand to be cool. Okay. <laughs> but I remember having those questions that like having these motivational speakers or, you know, just say no to drugs and people come to the school and talk about them. And at the time, you know, I wasn't drinking back then, but you know, later on in life, of course, you know, it all came, it all came crumbling down. I was just going to say to you just for a laugh, you know, it's all fun and games until you pee on yourself at a party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, you're holding your alcohol. 
Right. (laughs) (laughs) Not funny, but kind of is, you know. Well, it's like so many of these stories, they're funny in retrospect. They're not funny when you live them. No. So sad when you're in it. And I think constantly about having sober eyes, like how much the world changed once I put the alcohol and drugs down. Like, oh, I saw, I don't have any problem being out with people who are drinking. And I go to bed so much earlier now in life that I'm not out when people are getting drunk. Mm -hmm. And I remember being sober and really not liking that, watching people get very drunk and thinking that at a certain point, it stopped looking alluring and started to disgust me. And I'm glad for that. And I don't feel that way in general. I certainly don't feel that addicts and alcoholics are disgusting in any way. It's It's what the alcohol and drugs do to people that do to really good people. I love it. It's part of our Mm -hmm. intro. I say our intro because you (laughs) produced the (laughs) intro. Um, It just how drugs and alcohol turn really good people into liars, thieves, gluttons. And, and I just have to say this, just it, and it's kind of funny and, and kind of not funny because I'm being honest and kind of joking, is I one of my pet peeves is happy hour. As a sober person, at, you know, as somebody who's going to go to happy hour and not drink, but going to watch everybody else drink, I get so annoyed how long a happy hour can be. Like a before dinner, a happy hour. And people, when they're in it and they're having their time and they're having fun, they're not realizing that it's more than an hour, folks. Okay, I'm sitting here and I'm hungry and I want to eat something and y'all still doing your happy hour and it's been two hours. Okay. And I'm the one sitting there looking at my watch saying, um, when, when are we going to have our meal? Because I'm ready to go to bed eight o'clock. I need to go to bed. And so I've turned into that person that, um, kind of like the happy hour police. I'm saying, all right, the hour's over. Because, you know, back in the day, I probably, you know, I was having a good time and I was noticing how annoying the rest of us were having our three hour happy hour while people are waiting for their dinner. But now I'm on the other end of it. I'm like, I want my dinner. I don't want happy hour anymore. (laughs) And that it's called happy, happy hour. Yeah. Yeah. It's your wasting my time hour. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that can go on a life hack t-shirt, but it might need a t-shirt of its no. own. No, we need, that's what we need. So anyone that's listening, hashtag that. Hashtag, what should we call it? If it's not happy hour, you know, what is it? Because really for someone who doesn't drink, happy hour is not so much fun. Not much fun. It's not much fun to watch other people have their happy hour. Yeah, I'm about to go in another week or so to one of my retreats where I go to the beach and am with a group of quilters and they all have happy hour. And uh, I usually just stay in quilt during the time. Sometimes I go and I'm social while they're drinking. And uh, it really amazes me how many um, bottles of liquor come into a cottage. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and that just reminded me, all right, I'll uh, close (laughs) with this next story from my escapades. I am When I was working at the recovery center, I'm well into my sobriety. Now I'm 42 years sober. And I had a friend who was one of the people that I call my watchers. They're always asking me, do you still go to those meetings? Or 
are you not drinking and or I ought to be like you and not drink or not drink so much. All kinds of she would say all kinds of things like that to me. And she was telling me that she was about to take a trip to Mexico. And I said, oh, my God, I I need to go. And she said, well, we have a couple of condos and you're welcome to come along. You just have to pay for your own flight. And I went to my boss and, you know, my son was young, needed a babysitter. Everything fell into place. My boss said, you can't afford not to go and gave me the time. off. I mean, I'm talking about a a week turnaround and I got someone to come into my home and stay and take care of my son while I went to Mexico. And, And I go down there and my gal friend um, met up with three of her old um, college cronies and, and they were having a great time. And I slept in one condo and that very first night, um, you know, it's approaching time for what I consider dinner time. And they all went in town and bought lots of alcohol and came back, and, you know, and I'm like, oh, it's five, six, seven o'clock and they're still, you know, drinking. And, and then they brought out the um, weed and they were smoking pot. And I said, you know, would you mind bringing that to the other condo? Because it was the that was like a primary drug for me. I loved it. And I, I was like, I'm actually thankful today that it doesn't smell the same as it did when I was young. And um, so they went downstairs. And that began the whole time that we were in Mexico, they did all their partying. Um, I just never saw them. I was up and at the beach in the morning. And uh, when they came down around noon, I went up to eat my lunch or, you know, and um, yeah, I went on one snorkeling adventure with them. But basically, I spent the time alone and I was fine with that. And uh, and they came in one night and one of the gals woke me up. And it was like two o'clock in the morning. And she said, oh, yeah, my friend, and I won't mention her name, said so-and-so just needs to go in town to get Coke. And I thought, oh, is she talking about getting Coca-Cola out of the, you know, like, why does she have to go into town? There's a vending machine in the hall, you know. Not that kind. No. And it was just like the, oh, it got right by me that, you know, this person who said to me before the trip, I'm I'm going to not drink on the trip, although I might have to have a margarita on the beat, you know, and I'm thinking this is a good idea. Um, yeah, I'm very lucky. Very lucky. Yeah. Stayed sober. On that yeah, trip because I wasn't keeping it green, which is another. Um, oh, it's another life hack. Keep it green. What is that? Keep it green. What is that? Keeping it green means just remember when. Oh, keep it green. Remember when. Um, don't let that slip into a memory that we don't hold front and center because that's mm-hmm. so easy to just say, ah, one won't hurt. Yeah, I like these life hacks. Keep them coming, you know, and anybody that's listening, um, what do you have for life hacks for um, going on vacation with people who have no intention of not drinking or the happy hour that's three hours long? What do you do for that? Yeah, good, good. We'll get the conversation started and be sure to subscribe to Liars, Thieves, Gluttons and Whores. That way we know we're talking to um, more than six people in episode. (laughs) Great. All my family members. (laughs) Thank you again, Laurie. My pleasure. Do you suppose we'll hear stories about addiction? We might. Oh. Stories about recovery, too? 
Mm, but mostly stories about how addiction turns smart, sensitive people into liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Liars? And thieves? And gluttons and whores. Oh, liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Are you a fan of Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores podcast? Do you want to support the show and show off your love for LTGW? Look no further than You Can Do Merch Store, brought to you by host and creator Nancy Adair. 